It's Monday, November 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. Happy post-Halloween. Gobble, gobble, friend. <laughs> That's Man. right. Thanksgiving just around the corner. This is a great time of year. I mean, I you know, it, it's it's three months of really good holidays, I think. I mean, Halloween's always fun. Still got plenty of candy in the house, but now I'm already starting to think about that turkey, Chris. I, I mean, I'm literally already in turkey turkey mode. I thought you were referring to earnings season, but that's uh, but yeah, no, you're right about the holidays too. Um, we've got consumer goods news. We've got the business of travel. We're going to start with the deal of the day. Back in 2018, Coca-Cola took a 15% stake in Body Armor, the sports drink company. And I guess things went well because this morning Coke said they are buying the entire business. The price tag is $5.6 billion. Body Armor now becomes Coke's largest brand acquisition ever. Shares of Coca-Cola are basically flat on this news. There are a couple different ways we can go here. Where would you like to start? Well, I mean, I, I think this is definitely a good move. I think they they need to continue to diversify away from just the sugary sodas, uh, and, and they certainly have the benefit now of a track record with Body Armor. I mean, they know that there's something there. Uh, when I when I saw this headline this morning, the, the first thing that came to mind for me, it reminds me of Callaway Golf buying the rest of Top Golf. Clearly, two different markets, uh, but but you know Callaway CEO Chip Brewer saw that that potential in Top Golf. I mean, they maintained a, a modest investment in Top Golf as Top Golf continued to come up. And Top Golf, if you recall, had had plans to actually go public. Uh, then Callaway kind of <laughs> took a step back, looked at the numbers, looked at the way golf was kind of changing and the challenges uh, in the traditional sense of the game, and really Top Golf opening opening it up to a, a younger, newer generation. Um, and so, and so going ahead and, and picking that out before they had a chance to go public, that made a lot of sense to me. I mean, this makes a lot of sense to me too. I mean, clearly Gatorade is the market share leader uh, by a country mile when it comes to sports drinks, but Coca-Cola is slowly building up a nice little arsenal to be able to compete here. So, I, th- I think this makes a lot of sense. Am I right that Body Armor's market share, and you're right about Gatorade and Pepsi. I mean, that's they're so far ahead, it's, it's ridiculous. But I think I'm right that Body Armor is second. Um, or if they're not second, they're at least ahead of Powerade, which Coca-Cola also owns. And one of my thoughts in reading over this uh, story is, boy, this has got to be deflating if you're working in the Powerade division of the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> now, I think you are correct. I think recently Body Armor did surpass Powerade. Um, and and I, that, that could be for a number of reasons. I mean, I don't know that Coca-Cola has really done a lot to promote Powerade or done as much as they really could. Um, and, I mean, ultimately, you get body armor in this portfolio, or you've got body armor, vitamin water, smart water, you've got, uh, you know, your Powerade. So, I mean, the, it, it, the one thing I like about, about what Coca Cola strategy is here is they're building up a little sort of portfolio of brands within their portfolio of brands, right? They're focusing on that one market opportunity. Um, and maybe they're they're looking at it and thinking, you know what, it's not going to be just body armor that does it. It's going to be a, a combination of a few things. And, and to have that combination could give them some meaningful share. I, I wonder, you know, you, 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 hear, you hear about the aspirations of 
of founders and owners of concepts like this, right? I think you look at the uh, body armor president, I think his name is Brett Hasty, maybe. Um, there, there's sort of this, this idea, this notion to overtake Gatorade. And, and when you look at the numbers there, you think Gatorade's got some that's 70% market share or something like that. I mean, clearly that is a, that's, that's an audacious goal. It's, it's not unachievable, but it, it's certainly, uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough hill to climb. I, I appreciate the enthusiasm and I appreciate setting the bar high. I do want to harken, harken back just to uh, the days of Under Armour and Kevin Plank wanting to supplant Nike. Uh, that's all to say that this certainly can go south if leadership doesn't make good decisions. So uh, it's it's just something to keep in mind. I, I don't know. I don't like that goal of we want to supplant Nike. We want to supplant Gatorade. Why don't you just go out there and do something really well and kind of let let things fall where they fall? Because I think if you want to supplant or replace something like a Gatorade. That's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of time. So instead of focusing on that goal, focusing on having that really good product and and take advantage of what is one of your biggest advantages, which is distribution. Before we move on, I, I, w- I want to go back to something you said because you, you know, James Quincy, CEO at Coke, um, I think he's been in the corner office for four years, has shown a willingness to shut down brands. And I think that's you know that's smart. I think if you're a Coca-Cola shareholder, that's what you want to see. You don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to have every brand gets endless leash. By the same token, you know, you you touched on maybe Coca-Cola didn't support Powerade as much as they could have, or or you know maybe they haven't marketed them as much. You know, um, this is the biggest acquisition they've made on yeah. the brand side of things. So. They have to put money behind body armor. Otherwise, this is just like lighting money on fire, or I shouldn't say lighting money on fire. Like you know, this is uh, this is a good brand. It has decent market share, but if you're gonna if you're gonna commit five and a half billion dollars, then you better have a plan. And I'm assuming Quincy and his team do have a plan, but they they better have a plan for how they're going to grow this. And maybe that comes at the expense of Powerade, or maybe as you indicated that comes in concert with Powerade, and they grow both categories. Yeah, I, it, it, I mean, it remains to be seen which which way that goes. My 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 first inclination here, and I don't know that they're necessarily going to try to phase out Powerade. I think Powerade probably sticks around in some form, and maybe they just kind of maintain it. But to me, it did just to use a sports analogy, and we talk about this a lot as investors. I mean, this to me is a good example of Coca-Cola kind of just skating to where the puck is going, right? I mean, there are clear signs that Body Armor is is performing better than Powerade, right? And that was probably partly uh, due to Coca-Cola's uh, input there and, and, and being a part owner of, of, of uh, Body Armor uh, formerly. But I, I think that ultimately, you know, they, they sort of see the writing on the wall. They see where the market is headed. They say, hey, okay, this is the brand that really is gaining resonance with athletes out there. It's modern. It's new. It's got a lot of popular athletes out there uh, supporting the brand. I mean, clearly, the late Kobe Bryant was a big part of this company even being launched in the first place. And I mean, when you look back at his history, I mean, Kobe Bryant was one hell of an investor. Uh, so, I, I think that this is an example maybe of Coca-Cola kind of seeing the writing on the wall and, and really focusing on on adding to that winner, so to speak, as, as uh, David Gardner likes to say. 
Trivago posted a surprise profit in the third quarter. Revenue for the travel services company was also higher than expected. Trivago says that travel trends are improving with vaccinations continuing to rise. If only shares of Trivago were also uh, on the rise, because this seems like one of those opportunities for the stock to pop. Uh, you know, this is this is not something trading at some insanely high valuation. This is not just on a pure dollar basis. This is not an expensive stock, and yet, what what is going on with this business that this stock is flat after this kind of news in this environment? Yeah, it it's it's a it's been a fascinating story watching this watching this unfold since they went public. I mean. I think most people know Trivago just from the commercials, and then most people probably would then say, "Wait a minute, you know, I haven't seen one of those commercials for a while." And you're right; they they pretty much just completely nixed that entire budget for all of 2020. I think for obvious reasons. Uh, to me, this Trivago has always felt like a business that can't really make it on its own. Uh, to me, this is a business that just needs to be a part of a bigger network. So whether it's Booking.com or Expedia, uh, I mean, you, you could even look at a TripAdvisor, perhaps. I, I don't, I don't know. But to me, this just doesn't seem like a very good standalone business. I mean, when you look at how they make their money, they make all of their revenue when, and, and this is this is from from their actual uh, release here. They make all of their revenue when users. Uh, of their websites and apps, click on hotel and accommodation offers or advertisements uh, in their search results and, and that are referred. So this is essentially, you know, paying for clicks, right? The more clicks, the more money they're going to make. Um, the problem is that you look at how they make their money, who they're, who they're ultimately, who their customers are. I mean, their money really is coming from the OTAs, the Booking.coms and Expedia. When I say it's coming from them, with those two combined, that's like it's like over eighty percent of their revenue. So they're very dependent on Booking.com and Expedia, and I don't like that position in the value chain. They don't really get to call any of the shots. They don't really have any pricing power. They don't have the biggest network. And so even as travel bounces back, uh, this isn't a business that necessarily strikes me as one that's going to be leading the way, or at least as, as obviously as something like a Booking.com or, or uh, Expedia. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, this. Clearly, a, a a business has been a lot, under a lot of pressure, and I think for a lot of reasons uh, that are that are valid. I mean, if you just look at the company's top line, I think that tells you the story right there. It, it just is not good. It's certainly possible they could witness a little bit of a bounce back, a little bit of a snapback here as travel resumes. Because I mean, I'll tell you, just uh, last week when I flew down to to Moultrie to go see my folks, and I mean, I man, it, it was busy. There are a lot of people, a lot of people traveling, which is nice to see. Um, but but I just don't know that this is really a very. It's just not fundamentally a very good business. I mean, revenue was up 129 percent from a year ago. That's great. Revenue per qualified referral was up 85 percent from a year ago. That's great. But that's all expected, right? I mean, you expect that snapback from 2020. 2020 was a really, really tough year for this business. And in, in going forward, if if you're looking at a return to travel, it's just. To me, it's not one of the top names that really benefits immediately. Yeah, and we get this uh, a version of this question a lot, which is essentially, I'm looking at a given industry or a given trend, and I'm looking to buy a basket of stocks. What should I consider for my basket? If you're looking at reopening and travel, Travago's just not going to be ahead of some of the other bigger, more successful businesses. It's just not. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that just goes back to who this customer, who this company's customers really are. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people would think that we individual consumers are its customers, but the fact of the matter is, Booking.com and Expedia—that's their customer, right? That's where they're getting their money, and that puts them in a tough spot. Um, so you got a question uh, over the weekend. Um... From one of our listeners, Patrick Maher, um, who said, I'm a huge fan of McCormick. I use it in my cooking. I love the business, but it seems stagnant. I know competition is tough. We're coming out of the post-COVID world, but you know, I'm curious on your opinion on McCormick long-term, um, which is a great question. And I, I will just add as context, you go back to January 2020, shares of McCormick are at $85. Today, they're at 80 Now, yeah. they've visited different places in between but you know you add that context and it's it's like well certainly the stock is treading water as well yeah yeah, yeah i mean I, I think it's it's a very it's a very good question because it's a business clearly that i like a lot um and it's it's a business that, that i own shares in and i've owned them for a while and i think ultimately you want to understand or think about why you would own a business like this. Why would you want to own this stock? Because it is it is definitely it's not a fast grower, nor will it ever be. I mean, this is like organically, this is a company that's going to chalk up probably two three percent annualized revenue growth for the most part. Now they're going to make some acquisitions along the way, um, but but it's just in, in this in this world of of SaaS uh, companies and and, and hyper growth opportunities. This is definitely not not one of those. And I think the market kind of glosses over these stories sometimes and focuses on the uh, the shiny new toys out there. But it, again, going back to why you would own a business like this, it's because it's stable. It's because it's solid. It's because it's reliable. Um, it's a dividend aristocrat, right? You can count on that dividend not only being there, but growing over time. It's the market leader in its space. So, it's really, we talk often about the protect your wealth versus grow your wealth stage of life. And I, I think this is just one of those quintessential protect your wealth style investments. Um, you want to be excited about owning the stock for literally decades, if possible. I mean, you want to own this stock. The longer you own it, the more it makes sense. Uh, so, so yeah, when you look at the returns, no, it's not lighting on the lighting the world on fire in the near term. But if you stretch it out to over ten years, then you start to see the potential there. You see the compounding in action. And I think one thing also to keep in mind with uh, McCormick, and, and just go back to, I think it was 2017 when they made the acquisition of RB Foods. Um, remember, remember when that happened? That was a really big acquisition, some, something like $4.3 billion acquisition, which, which was a big, a big one. And, and the market took it with a healthy dose of skepticism, and, and the stock was, was kind of stagnant. For a while, you know, it sold off and was kind of stagnant for a while until the market was convinced that the deal was a good one. Uh, they they also did just make a couple of recent acquisitions here for around a total of 1.5 billion dollars, right? It was Cholula um, and then another uh, spice and flavor company that they they brought under their umbrella. And so we're continuing to see consolidation. I think that sometimes the market takes a look at that and says, you know what, show me before I give you the credit for making these deals. Uh, it's not to say these deals are a no-brainer and they will succeed, but by the same token, McCormick has a pretty good track record of doing it. Um, so, so I, I, I would remain confident there. And, and ultimately, and I've, I've, I've said this before. I mean, I think think about the things that we'll still be doing in ten to twenty years, right? I mean, t- ten to twenty years down the line, we're going to be doing a lot of things. We're going to be doing a lot of things differently. But I mean, I think that 
I'm still going to be seasoning my food. I'm still going to be using salt and pepper, right? I'm still going to be throwing some rubs on barbecue on the grill. I mean, I think that's something that's going to be, that's going to be something very difficult to disrupt. I don't know that tech necessarily disrupts that so much. So it is very boring in that regard, but I think that's the idea really. So to me, it is one where just, again, the longer you own it, the more it makes sense. And, and honestly, it's 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 one of those investments that you can kind of hang on to. You sleep very well at night knowing you've you've got this type of exposure in your portfolio, so you don't have to worry necessarily about so much of that volatility that comes with some of those high flyers. Well, it's kind of like we were talking earlier in the show about Coca Cola and Pepsi. I mean, those yeah. are two companies that, yes, their stock is higher today than it was five years ago. Neither one of them is beating the S and P five hundred. Yeah. Um, but you know, you throw in the dividends. And and a lot of it comes down to expectations. I mean, that's that's something that I think often gets lost when we talk about, you know, allocation and how how are you setting up your portfolio. You can't really have the exact same expect or I, I you can have the same expectations for all your stocks. That's probably a, a pathway to disappointment though. <laughs> like I think like I think you can you can't at Coca-Cola or McCormick <laughs> yeah. and say, yeah, I'm, exe- I'm, I'm expecting the same from them as I'm expecting from Atlassian or Cloudflare. It's like, yeah. what? Those are, those are completely different businesses. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's like comparing a cybersecurity firm to a bank. I mean, you don't, you just, they're, they're two different animals altogether. And I mean, it really does boil down to portfolio management. Everybody's going to view that differently, I think. Uh, I mean, you are more than welcome to invest uh, your entire portfolio in unprofitable sectors. SaaS companies and cloud plays, I would volunteer that you might develop an ulcer from that. Maybe not. I don't know. I've got a pretty high risk tolerance, though, Chris, and I don't even do that. You know, I, I want to bolster my portfolio with some of these no-brainer ideas that I could just set it and forget it. And I know that I'm going to check in every year, and it's going to be relatively the same story. I mean, you don't ignore it. You right. You pay attention to what's going on, but it's it's not something that hinges on every quarterly report. That's just the idea behind this type of investment. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.